Happy New Year, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Sing Second Podcast. I am John Schofield, your host. Joining me is the co-host and producer, Class of 99 grad. Hope everyone's holidays went well. I hope you survived without the sweet dulcet tones of Chris Cervello and myself. Two people who we worked with very closely, as we've mentioned before on this podcast, Fred Cater and Yvette Davids turned over um, as superintendent at the U.S. Naval Academy. Uh, Yvette took the reins in a star-studded affair in Memorial Hall. Uh, Secretary of the Navy Carlos del Toro was there, class of 83. Her husband, Keith Davids, from the great class of 90, was there. Fantastic guy. Their twin boys were there, obviously. Um, CNO Lisa Frankitty was there. Uh, Governor of Maryland, Wes Moore, made an appearance, as well as Gavin Buckley. And, and you know, as I surveyed the room of flag officers and alums, um, and, and elected officials, it, it just struck me, you know, the, the, the civil military cooperation that exists in Annapolis, um, it, it was just a very, very special day. A lot of media, it was a PAO's dream or nightmare, depending on your point of view. But, uh, you know, all three major affiliates were there, NBC, CBS, and ABC, the Capitol Gazette, uh, the Baltimore Banner. Um, it was just an amazing day. And for those of you who don't know, Yvette Davids, a native of San Antonio, Texas, she's a surface warfare officer, 1989 grad, majored in oceanography, um, you know, started off her career as the electrical officer, CIC officer, and communications officer on board USS San Jose, AFS-7, uh, eventually went aboard USS David R. Ray, and everyone loves sprue can sailors. Uh, that was DD-971. Uh, eventually became the XO on Higgins, and of course her command rides, um, you know, commanded the Kurtz and Bunker Hill, uh, and most recently her operational assignment as Commander Nimitz Strike Group. She also came back to the Naval Academy, and she was quite the sailor uh, when she was at the Naval Academy. Served uh, as the director of Naval Academy Sailing (DNAS). Uh, so coming home of sorts, and Chris. You know, you and I worked with Fred and Yvette uh, when they were at N3, N5. Uh, they relieved each other as the EA for Admiral Morgan uh, when you and I were doing public affairs for them. I know we've talked about it a little bit before, but now that it has officially happened, we now have the first ever female superintendent in the history of the U.S. Naval Academy as a graduate. You know, what are the emotions or the observations that you have? I mean, I'm proud of our institution. Uh, I certainly am proud of uh, the work that Fred did uh, in, you know, kind of keeping the the school in the channel, if you will, while all the craziness was going on in Capitol Hill. And I'm particularly uh, proud and uh, happy for Yvette and her family. Um, you know, you mentioned that we had an opportunity to work with her when she was in 04. Um, I was on the CERPAC staff with her for two years uh, working for Admiral Curtis. She was the Deputy EA for the civilian executive director. And um, I, I would say built a pretty good friendship with her uh, in that job. She was a great mentor then and have stayed in touch. And uh, I think the Naval Academy is very lucky to have her. Um, you mentioned Keith, her husband. I mean, they are a great family. 
Um, the two boys, um, you, you know, we lived near them at one point when we lived in Alexandria. Um, and I just can't say enough. And the, and the reason I'm sort of ticking all these things off is, is like, we're just not bio deep on her. Um, you know, I think we've had an opportunity to see her under stress. We've seen her, you know, at good times. Uh, we've seen her um, under pressure and uh, she's just a fantastic leader. Um, I, you know, you always hear people say like, uh, oh, I wish I could switch places with the midshipmen. I, I, I don't know that I would ever say that uh, other than to say that I wish I would have had the opportunity to have Yvette Davis as a superintendent. I mean, I was lucky to have two great soups, but to to have Yvette Davids in your chain of command just means a lot. Um, as graduates, we should feel really good. We're going to get to hear a lot from her. We're going to get to learn a lot from her. So uh, um, you were very lucky to have been there, John. Um, and, um, you know, I, I hope that uh, over the next coming weeks and months, we'll get an opportunity to talk to her frequently. Yeah, and, and the entire thing was meant to be, and this is Yvette, all the way through, if I may opine, and, and maybe someone will call BS on me later on, but um, Yvette chose to um, to promote to Vice Admiral from Rear Admiral in a very, very small ceremony. And I talked about how deep, um, you know, her roots are with, with sailing at the Naval Academy. She, she chose a very small, intimate ceremony at Robert Crown Sailing Center. Um, you know, and, and obviously you add the women's SIG, the Naval Academy Minority Association, the class of 89, a lot of people wanted to be a part of this and, and Yvette kind of sticking to her guns, um, and, and trying to make sure that it was mission first, kept it very small at the, uh, at Robert Crown Sailing Center for her promotion. And then you know, my understanding is that between she and Fred, that they wanted something very intimate in Memorial Hall, a, a room that means a lot to all of us. Um, you know, as you remember, I retired in there. You were uh, you were a very able side boy. I don't know if you were the best side boy. I mean, I evaluated the photos at the end. I mean, I thought your I thought your salutes were were snappy. Um, you know, but I you know if I were if I were Colonel Frank Slade of uh, you know, instead of a woman fame, I, I would have critiqued it a little bit more. But but in all seriousness, it, it was just a very intimate venue that seemed just a lot more personal. Uh, whereas when I've, I've uh, been there in Alumni Hall, not only for superintendent changes of command, but for CNO changes of command, it Alumni Hall is just, I don't know, you, you and I have already have gone off on the lack of Wi-Fi, um, how kind of sterile the environment is, and and why not conduct an historical uh, event um, in a room that has so much significance for the yard? So yeah, it, it was it was standing room only, but it was invite only. Um, there were only a certain amount of the class of '89 that were able to be there, a certain amount of the women's sig and NAMA that were uh, able to be there, but. Yeah, true to true to form, the alumni association surged, and we were able to work with the uh, yard to live stream uh, the event. So I hope everyone got to watch it at home. But then we hosted a watch party here at the Flugel Alumni Center. Yet another benefit um, of this place. So you know, it was it was a it was a really nice thing. So long long winded answer to your question, but I, I don't know. I. I I have always preferred events in Memorial Hall over Alumni Hall, um, you know, and and that's that's kind of how it shook down at the end. Uh, one more time, congratulations to Vice Admiral Yvette Davids and her family, um, Keith and the kids, 
and we can't wait to get started. And she is, she is up to bat. She comes in here on Wednesday to talk to the Alumni Association and Foundation. So, you know, we'll see what's up. Um, but I, I know that this is an upward trajectory. So um, without any more ado, we're going to put a pin in that. Um, please check out our website. Please check out Navy.mil for Yvette's, uh, for Yvette's bio. But, um, yeah, please, please take the opportunity to reach out and congratulate the Davids family for what they went through or for what they experienced today. It's a great thing. Uh, we are going to go to break, but when we come back, we have a really good interview with you. We're, we've always talked about how we go out and meet the audience where they are at the Naval Academy Alumni Association. We'll be joined by EVP of Engagement and Communications, TJ Grady from the great class of 96. Uh, he's going to talk about how in the next couple of months, uh, he and our director um, of engagement operations, Nancy Murray, they're going to be hitting the road to go out and meet our chapters and meet our parents clubs. TJ is going to talk to you a little bit about that. And then we're going to talk to new sponsor and many thanks to Stratuscore, um, uh, the president of Stratuscore, class of 2001 grad, Scott Sloan. Uh, he's going to give us a little breakdown on uh, Stratuscore as part of our alumni business feature. And then in the out, Chris Cervello and I are going to talk a little sports, put our old sing second sports hat on and uh, talk about the recent developments over the uh, holidays, particularly the transfer of Jason, Jacob Busick and the appointment of a new offensive coordinator. So stick with us. We're going to go to break. When we come back, we have a great interview with TJ Grady. The Six Second Podcast is sponsored by Scott Shooter and the Shrek Realtor and Crew team. Scott Shooter is truly committed to making your real estate transaction an enjoyable, stress-free process. His work ethic, honesty, and pride in his job were instilled at an early age and were reinforced through his education at the U.S. Naval Academy and his service in the military in the E2D platform. Those traits provide him with tools to provide you with the professional expert service that you desire and deserve. Those traits are the foundation of his service to you and your agent. It is not just lift service, it is a way of life. You can start your home search by visiting Scott Shooter's listings and property search page. Please visit scottshooter.com. That's S-C-O-T-T-S-C-H-U-E-T-T-E-R.com. Scott Shooter, the Shrek Realtor and Crew, a proud sponsor of the Sphinx Second Podcast. All right. Hey, hey, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on Sing Second. Uh, really great interview this week as we welcome you back to 2024, the first pod of the 2024 Sing Second season. The last time we talked to TJ Grady, ladies and gentlemen, he was not an employee of the Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation. Um, but, you know, I hear through the grapevine that it was due in small part to his appearance on the podcast that he was even considered for his current position and that current position, ladies and gentlemen, is knows nothing small. It is the Executive Vice President of Engagement and Comms here at the Alumni Association and Foundation. TJ from the great class of 96, uh, former Navy soccer captain um, and survivor of Dr. Myers um, on, the, uh, on the fields of friendly strife here. TJ, thank you so much for joining the pod. How's your New Year so far? Hey, John, Chris, thanks for having me. Uh, New Year's has been great. Happy 2024. Just getting back into the swing of things here and getting ready to go out and visit some of our alumni soon. So it's great. 
So TJ, let's jump right into it. You know, the main tenet of uh, engagement and comms under your leadership has been meeting the audience where they are, um, going out and taking the Alumni Association of Foundation message and mission um, and, and talking to our chapters, talking to our parents clubs. And you and I have one football season mm -hmm. under our belt. Uh, going to Memphis, um, you know, heading down to Texas, you and me during Thanksgiving, which was super fun. Um, but it's not just about football games. It's not just about uh, those sort of chapter and parent club engagements. Now that we're out of football season, you've got an entire roadshow planned to go out and, and meet people on the West Coast, all over the country. Kind of give us a, a little bit of an appetizer, maybe even a small main course of what you have planned, what we have planned. Um, in order to you know, bring the message of the Alumni Association and Foundation to the streets. Yeah, thanks. I mean, you're right. Football season is a great opportunity to go out and see cer certain alumni and certain friends and family of uh, the Naval Academy, but it only hits you know six or so places the year, right? So when I got here about a year ago, I looked around and I said, how do we decide? where we go to visit our alumni? How do we decide where we go to visit our volunteer leaders who are out there doing these incredible things for this institution and this alumni association and foundation? And the, the answer I got was, well, we, we kind of wait till people are doing their dark ages dinner or their pre-commissioning dinner, or and we get an invite and then we see if we, it works with our schedule. And I said, that that's good, that's one way to do it, but why don't we put together a strategic plan that we can go out and say, you know, we've got over 100 chapters. When's the last time we visited that chapter? We've got some in San Diego, some in Norfolk. Those are easy, but when's the last time we've been to these kind of geographically challenged chapters that are still doing great stuff for our alumni, still encouraging young men and women to come to the Naval Academy? When's the last time we've seen them? So what we did over the past six months is we put together a plan. And we basically have this four to five year plan where we're going to go out and try to visit all our chapters. And it may be during a football game. But it, it may not. In fact, this month we're heading out to the West Coast and we're going to go uh, to four different chapters in a, in a five day period. And we're just going to try to meet with them and try to meet them where they're at. Not everybody can make it back to Annapolis. And so go there, see them, see what their challenges are. We're trying to spread the good word about the Naval Academy and see if we can help in some way. Uh, and of course, answer the questions. You know, what questions do they have? happening about the academy. We're about to get a new superintendent historic event here um, this week and see what questions they have about that, what questions they have about athletics. Um, so that's our goal is to go out and meet them where they are and try to connect and communicate and support them on their own goals. Hope that makes sense. Total sense. And before I turn it over to Chris, you know, because one of those uh, going out and meeting the audience where they are includes a Dark Ages dinner down in Chris's hometown of L-Town, the, the, the pride of Leonardtown, Maryland at the old Breton Inn uh, here at the uh, beginning of February. But, you know, from, from your perspective, you're a very engaging personality and, and you do a lot of your best work out from behind the desk. You know, is this kind of the, the face of the Alumni Association now? Because so many people over the years have said, no, I don't really know what you guys do. And you know, we don't really know where you are. Well, we solved one part of that, you know, here with the Flugel Alumni Center. Now there's kind of an epicenter of, of our operations. And it's helped immeasurably in certain ways, you know, bringing our staff together and allowing there to be a place for the alumni to come and congregate and get excited about 
you know, not just philanthropy, but just being an alumnus, you know, but from, from your philosophy, you know, how, how do you see this evolving? This isn't just in the next 12 months. This is going to be a long drawn out thing where we bring alumni much more into the fold. Yeah, I, th I think that's a great point is you can only do so much from Annapolis, Maryland. And you're right, we do have this beautiful new building and we welcome as many people as we can to come back here, whether during football season or different parts of the year. But again, not everybody can make it back here. We've got, think about all the people that are still in the fleet right now, all the young men and women out there still serving. They're busy. They, they might not have the opportunity to make it back to Annapolis. So we want to make sure that they do feel supported and that they know we're here for them. And if that means us going to them and us coming to them and saying, hey, give me an hour on a Thursday night where we can get together. I can hear what your thoughts are. Um, you know, we don't have all the, the answers here. We've got just over 100 people here at the Alumni Association and Foundation. We've got 69,000 living alumni spread across the world. Well, it just makes sense by going to them, getting their thoughts. How can we do things better? How can we support them better? How can we support their families better, whether they're still in the fleet or out? It makes sense getting their input. And that's what we're trying to do. TJ, you were a two-time commanding officer. You were a um, aviation detailer. In a lot of ways, it's kind of like being the CEO and going to visit your debts or being the detailer and going out and visiting folks. Uh, how, how much of that active duty experience have you taken into this job? And, you know, you, you talked a little bit about your philosophy, but I mean, I was just reading the press release to prep for this uh, interview. I mean, it has been almost exactly a year that you've been in in the job. What, what have you learned that maybe was different from that uh, fleet time? Um, and, you know, maybe what do you wish you knew going into this job? Yeah, that's that's a great question. First of all, when you started off by saying I was a detailer, Chris, you didn't help me out at all. There's now people <laughs> turning this off, um, you know, as the bad guy. But no, you're right. Um, I guess I would sum it up in just that, you know, my job here is to help lead the Alumni Association. And if I'm going to do that, you know, somebody taught me as a young GAO, you're talking about my experience, how that has helped me, is that leadership is a contact sport. And I can write somebody an email. I can call them, uh, as you know, 10 times a day. But putting your face in front of them and seeing them and putting your, your hand on their shoulder and seeing their facial expressions and answering their questions, you know, um, that it's a contact sport. So I believe we need to be on the road. I need to, we need to be seeing people. We need to. And that's just not me. I've got, uh, you know, a great staff of folks who are heading out and visiting alumni right now, whether it's our World War II alumni who uh, we've gone out, we're doing a series soon on that. Uh, whether it's alumni doing great things in business, we got to get out and see them. Um, one of my favorite things to do is when I introduce myself to somebody and they go, hey, uh, you're kind of the new guy. And they say, yeah, I got here about a year ago. And they say, well, what do you do? What does EVP of engagement and communications mean? And it's just, it, I, I love it because it's my chance to say, okay, here's what the Alumni Association and Foundation is all about. And I give them that two minute you know, talk about the Alumni Association is here to support you. The foundation is really, they're trying to make sure that the Naval Academy is supported 
and that you understand that when you give your time and treasure where that time and treasure goes, that's what the foundation is a part of. And I, I just love the ability to stand in front of them face to face and talk about who we are as an organization. So did I learn that being a commanding officer of a, a couple squadrons? I bet in some form or fashion, I learned that you got to be walking around, you got to be in front of people. Um, and that's how you gain trust with them. A phone call and an email only does so much. What are the, can you share maybe the most, uh, I, I guess, common questions that you get when, when you're out talking to folks? I mean, just them, thematically, I mean, what, what are folks most interested? I imagine it varies a little bit by by age demographic, but if you could in the year, what what's the biggest, you know, sort of theme that you've heard from folks? Yeah, you're, you're right, Chris. It does vary um, by age demographic, but one of the biggest things I hear is, um, why should I support the Naval Academy when I pay my tax dollars and it's already supported by the government? And that's an honest question, right? I think when I was at the Academy, I think for the first 10 years, I went, the government pays for the men and women to become officers at the Academy to develop them. And what I found was one of the biggest surprises once I got here and I started really digging into it and looking at it is that, you know, Uncle Sam only pays a certain portion to kind of keep the lights on. Uh, they, they do a little bit more, but all that excellence that you see, all the goodness you see, whether it be in the athletic side of things or in the academic side of things, that's coming from, uh, for the most part, alumni dollars. And once people realize that, once people realize that all these, the, uh, the international trips that midshipmen get to go on, these amazing professors that are teaching our young men and women, the, the weight rooms, the sports fields, all these things are usually coming from the treasure of alumni. Once they realize that, and it's not the government paying for it, they say, well, okay, that, that makes sense. I didn't know that. How can I help? And then we find them a way. So for me, I'm a trustee on the athletic and scholarship programs. Athletics were a big part of, of uh, my learning and development development at the Naval Academy. As, as John said, I survived Dr. Greg Myers uh, as my coach. It was a big part of who I was. So I give my treasure back to, a, to the athletics of the Naval Academy and the soccer team and those things. Other people want to give it to international programs, to cyber, to academics. And so the biggest question I get is, why should I give back? And it's a really great opportunity to talk to them about the different ways they can support these young men and women who are going out and defending our country. So that's why you got to be in front of them. You just got to be in front of them to answer that question. Well, it's a timely answer. From today until Friday is our week of gratitude. So again, to your point about being a contact sport, uh, recognizing the impact of our philanthropy is, is critical to what we do. Walk us through what people who have given back to the Naval Academy and the Naval Academy Alumni Association and Foundation are going to hear from us this week because the week of gratitude isn't us just putting up an Instagram post that says, hey, thanks a lot for your check, Chris Cervello. You got a little brick on the uh, plank owner wall. You know, what, what is the week of gratitude all about? And for you, as someone who gives back to the Naval Academy, what's it about for you? The further away we get from the Naval Academy as alumni, the further we appreciate um, the place. And, and that's understandable. For four years, you're trying to get through academics, get through you know, inspections, get through whatever you need to get through to get to the fleet and start doing your job. And when you're at those first five years in the fleet, you're just, you're, you're busy, you're, you're trying to learn how to fly an airplane, how to drive a ship. 
uh, how to shoot a gun, whatever it may be. But as we get further away, we start understanding, wow, that place taught me a lot that I didn't, I wasn't aware of. And so we start having this feeling, and I'm speaking for myself, of maybe I need to give something back to that place. And so about it was, it was about 15 years ago, I started saying, okay, I'm starting to have a little bit extra money where I can give back to help those young men and women there. And what I saw was, I saw all the opportunities where that money could go. And people were saying, hey, where do you want to give it to? I said, well, I guess uh, athletics is something. Well, they said, well, you can give it to cyber. You can give it to uh, academics. There are hundreds of different ways that you can help support this institution. And some folks that just don't know say, look, I've got this amount of, of treasure I want to give back. I'm not sure where it goes. I just want to give it to the, you know, the Naval Academy Fund. And that gives that fund then gives a little bit more uh, opportunity to spread it around in different ways. All that good stuff you see in the superintendent doing, the commandant doing, that's not paid. That's not paid from the government. That's paid from us to help him bring people in, to host folks, to do those types of things. Um, so, I, you know, there's a list a mile long of different things I could go for that where, where your time and treasure could go. Um, but you just got to get involved. You just got to ask the question. And just I just want to make one point to both of you guys as well. I keep using the word treasure. Time is also something really important. I just want to thank all our volunteer leaders out there who give their time to young men and women who have questions. I just got a call yesterday saying, hey, I've got my son that's thinking back on the academy. Can he come in and speak to you for an hour? That's not treasure. That's just time talking about. We have thousands of alumni that give their time for this place. And I am eternally grateful. So thank you for that. One last question from me, TJ. The last time we talked to you, not only were you not the EVP of engagement and comms um, at the Alumni Association and Foundation, but you were not yet the parent of a Naval Academy midshipman. <laughs> you are now that. Uh, Gavin Grady just completed his, uh, his first semester at the Naval Academy. And he just told me earlier just to embarrass him if he's listening to the pod. And if he isn't listening to the pod, I'm going to fry his ass for a major. Uh, but you just told me that he uh, you know, succeeded in his first semester as a 3.0 student. You know, you, you've had a career that keeps coming back you know, in some certain way to the Naval Academy, not just surviving Dr. Myers, but coming back as the deputy commandant. And now you are not only you know, in the employee of the Alumni Association and Foundation doing all the great things that were aforementioned, but you are a parent. Um, how, how has this come full circle for you? Like, I'm, I'm not asking you to get on a chaise lounge and, and explain your emotions, but what's it like being a parent on top of all of these other variables? Well, it's, it's, um, it's, it's mostly fun. Um, and I say fun because I get to listen to my son who is doing very well at school, uh, I get to listen to him tell me all of his stories. And I, I, I'll kind of sum it up like this. My wife asked him at dinner over the holidays, what's, what's the thing you hate most about the Naval Academy? And he said, well, just being a plebe. It's tough. I don't have any time to myself. And I said, well, what's the thing you like most about the Naval Academy? And he said, I love the people I get to be around. And that kind of sums up our service, whether you went to the Naval Academy or not, and just in the Navy and the Marine Corps, the people you get to be around. And so I love just hearing 
uh, the stories that he doesn't know I'm listening, that he's talking to his friends about something he had to do or a hard company workout in the morning or this test that he didn't understand. Um, I even got a little chuckle last night when I was driving him back uh, after leave so he could start the dark ages. And he and another midshipman we sponsor, they couldn't have been any quieter in that car. I could just feel the emotions that that were going through them thinking, oh, I got to go back, right? And that is something that you ask any alumni. It doesn't go away for four years, right? Because you know you're going back to a place that you got to put the work in and you got to start grinding again. And so even just, we didn't say a single word on the drive back, but I could feel his emotions. And, and as a dad and as somebody who just bleeds blue and gold and loves this place, um, I knew he's going through the right emotions. He's experienced it. If he was happy, if he was excited, I would have been a little worried, John. <laughs> well, we all indeed bleed the uh, blue and gold, even me as a non-graduate. Um, TJ, you know, we thank you so much for joining the podcast. And we'll put out a bunch of stuff on uh, social media and on the webpage about the traveling roadshow that will take place you know, through the winter and the spring. Again, this is a contact sport, a lot of road games going on. So look for TJ Grady, Nancy Murray and our engagement, uh, Lori Coogan for our parents clubs and, uh, and you know, everyone from the Alumni Association. If, TJ, I'll give you the last word. I just want to say thanks to you and Chris, honestly, uh, for what you're doing. I love listening to the pod. I love that you're, you know, that you also bleed blue and gold and, and whether it be sports, whether it be something we're doing at the alumni association. Uh, I just want to say thank you to you guys because you're, you're pushing out the message and this is a great institution and we are on the right track and we're doing wonderful things here. And these young men and women are going out there to, uh, you know, to serve their country. And what, what better why could someone have supporting a place that is developing young men and women to go out to defend our country that's our why. And so I'm very thankful for you guys to be able to push that message out. So appreciate it. No, we couldn't be happier to do it. Ladies and gentlemen, if he, uh, if he weren't flying P8s or P3s before the P8s, he probably would have been, you know, you know squished right in between Fabian Bartes and Tim Howard in between the pipes <laughs> uh, for Manchester United. But for now, we're so happy that he's the EVP of engagement and comms here at the Alumni Association of Foundation. TJ Grady from the great class of 1996. We're going to go to break. When we come back, Chris Cervello and I have a great interview with Scott Sloan from one of our new sponsors, Stratusport Technologies. This is Sync Second. The Sync Second podcast is brought to you by Stratusport Technologies. Stratusport Technologies is a leading small business provider of information technology services to America's warfighters. Headquartered in Virginia Beach, Virginia, their 230 plus employees have been delivering premier quality services and software and network engineering, enterprise architecture, afloat installation and maintenance, IT operations management and cybersecurity to the US Navy and Marine Corps since 2015. Team Stratus has a global footprint with staff located all over the United States and 11 destinations around the world, including Singapore, Japan, Guam, Korea, Greece, and Germany. Stratus Core Technologies is the provider of choice when the nation's most difficult technological problems need the most enterprising solutions. The Sing Second Podcast is very proud to have Stratuscore Technologies as one of our premier sponsors. Please check out Stratuscore Technologies online for your information technology services solutions. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back on the second podcast. Happy New Year again, and with our first alumni business segment of 2024, we are really, really happy to be joined by a friend of the pod, a friend of ours personally, uh, and the president of Stratuscore Technologies, Scott Sloan from the great class of 01, 96 plus 5, yut! Scott, thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you, sir. How's your New Year so far? So far, so good. For the sake of the listeners, you know, other than being from the class of 01, just quick introduction. Yeah, how did you end up at the Naval Academy? Did you always want to be a Naval officer? And then when you graduated, walk us through how your career progressed from there. Sure. No, I, I knew uh, from a, for a, a long time that I wanted to be a Naval officer. My grandfather was in World War II. He was... Uh, uh, he enlisted and then uh, went made chief and then was was commissioned. Uh, he served on the USS North Carolina and he was a battleship sailor throughout uh, World War II. And from you know Top Gun time uh, on, I knew I wanted to be a, a naval officer. And his his recommendation, he said, if you want to fly jets, you need to go to the Naval Academy. So from that point on, uh, you know that was kind of that was kind of my objective. I, I Went to uh, tr- tried to get in uh, right after graduation. I was unsuccessful. Uh, was uh, graciously given a spot to go to the Naval Academy Preparatory School. I think because I just bugged the bejesus out of the admissions officer, and they said go to Newport and leave us alone. Um, <clears throat> but uh, you know, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. So anybody out there who you know gets a gets a gets a chance to go to naps i would absolutely recommend it don't think that it's you know second fiddle or anything like that i think you know those are the folks who are best positioned to uh you know to kind of lead your class once you get here to annapolis and and move on and i look at the folks who are still in and still you know looking to you know to lead our uh navy marine corps it's it's our naps class our napsters are overwhelmingly the ones who are still uh still you know career officers so that was a lot of a lot of fun uh, came in class 2001, submarine officer. Uh, I was uh, I was stashed here at the Naval Academy for about six months before I went to power school. A minor geopolitical event occurred while I was here, uh, <laughs> called 9/11. Uh, my my boss, uh, you know the the national treasure that is Chris Hoffman, was the duty officer. He pulled all of his ensigns in, and uh, we got to go all full national treasure, and we uh, rolled out the blueprints of Bancroft Hall and got to identify all the exterior doors and put watchstanders on them and all that kind of stuff. That was a terrible, terrible time, uh, but it was a very interesting time to be uh, here at the academy. So. It had to have galvanized a little bit of your why, right? You know, because I was sitting there on 9-11... I had just taught uh, first period uh, celestial navigation, right? It was actually Navigation 101. I'm doing EI with a student, teaching them how to do a running fix, and then 9-11 happens. And it all of a sudden became this, you know, it was nice and romantic to be in the Navy to being, holy cow, this is like the real world scenario. Like, how did that shape the years to come as your service evolved? Well, I mean, it really put a focal point on to, you know, what what it means to serve, right? I mean, we were the last class to graduate without, uh, you know, uh, a, a conflict at bay for the, for the next 20 years. And, um, you know, I remember a phone call that I, I called my dad that day, um, just to let him know that I was fine and, you know, we were, we were doing what we're doing. And he said, you know, you got to get home. You got to get out of there. And because uh, we, we, we had received intel. The brigade went back, uh, canceled classes, sent all the professors home. Uh, we did get a note that, you know, the, 
the academy and the state house, which is right up the road, was on the watch list. And he said, you got to get out of there. And I said, well, Dad, this is what we do, right? I mean, yeah. we, we run toward the fire, right? I th- so it was, uh, it was a pretty uh, sobering conversation for both of us. But at the same time, it, it, you know, to your point, it really did kind of uh, put a point on what, why it is that we're here and what, what, what we do. So where did you go from there? You know, now that your career is off to a very unique start. Sure. Um, you know, how, how did it progress? And then how did you end up, you know, it's, there's a lot of gap in between there. So kind of the right. Cliff's Notes version, but going from being a stash ensign on 9-11 to being the president of a company, um, that's, you know, a, a pretty significant shift. Sure. No, th- and that's fair. And so did, I, I, was a, I was a fast attack sailor, a submarine officer out of, out of uh, Norfolk, Virginia. So on the USS Hampton, um, I, I got taught to go to periscope depth by a future VCNO, Bob Burke. Not a Naval Academy graduate, but it is the great regret of his career. Just ask him and oh, he'll, no, he'll make I'm, sure to tell you. I'm sure that'll be a fun conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, from, from there, went to, went to shore duty at the Pentagon at, at a small office called the Defense Liaison Division. Uh, that's where I learned a lot about exploits of uh, Chuck Larson and, uh, you know, just one of the giants on shoulders who, who we stand around here. Um, you know, the CEO of the USS Halibut in the mid-60s and, uh, you know, just really, really uh, interesting world to get in. But that, that's where I got into the world of research and development and uh, acquisition and, and that sort of thing. Um, I, I left active duty in 2007, uh, went over to Northrop Grumman uh, right around here, um, spent some time over there. But then, you know, around 2008, 2009, the economy wasn't so great. So uh, it was time to get some stability, went over to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission as a submariner and a self-loathing nuke. I couldn't get enough, so decided to uh, to go in that front. Um, an organization that is chock full of Naval Academy graduates, by the way. Um, great, great organization over there. Um, really learned a lot about you know how to, how to make a way, how to uh, from a public policy standpoint, you know what it means to to you know really execute in government, which was uh, really critical for me. Really, really interesting, uh, but. Uh, everything comes to an end, and uh, I was having one of those days sitting on the Beltway between here and Rockville, and I got a call from a 2000 graduate, uh, Nick Trzinski, who uh, said, you know, he's at a new company called CSRA, and he's got a great job for me if I want to go over. And it's just, you know, it was it was the right place at the right time, uh, and I went over and, uh, you know, led strategic growth for his Navy Marine Corps business. We were acquired by GDIT, uh, General Dynamics. Um, from there, I, I went to lead strategic growth for all the armed forces for Accenture. Um, and then, again, just got a call kind of out of the blue one day uh, from an old friend uh, who, who is, the, is the ownership at, uh, at Stratus Corp saying he needed to move in a new direction and uh, wanted to talk to me about you know, moving things forward. So came over about a year ago. We are a, a small business uh, headquartered out of Virginia Beach, Virginia. Uh, really do uh, a whole wide variety of uh, information technology services, uh, installation, repair, operations, maintenance, break fix, uh, network operations, security operations um, for a gamut of customers, including um, you know, Navy Network Warfare Command, uh, Military Sealift Command, uh, doing some stuff for the Marine Corps as well as uh, some electronic warfare work that we've been doing for a little long, for a real long time. So, um, really had a it's a great opportunity. I've had a chance to build a team and and really try to move the company in a new direction and uh, you know build on the on the really solid foundation that the folks have had since about 2015. So. 
from the time you showed up at NAPS until today, the Navy has been integral um, in your life. You know, and it's not just out of laziness. It's not just, hey, this is the only thing I know how to do. Why do you continue to want to give back? Like what, what something was imbued upon you either before you showed up at the academy or I suspect while you were at the academy that that inspires this service in you? Well, because it's so critically important. I mean, I'm, I'm still a drill-in reservist, right? And I, and I support 7th Fleet. Looking forward to uh, seeing Admiral Kacher as he takes command, uh, as he's done a phenomenal job in an acting capacity here. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm still a user of, of the services that, that, that the Navy and Marine Corps team really try to provide all the time. And I, I, I see what can be improved, and I see how, you know, user experience is so important to mission accomplishment, and it's not just a nice-to-have anymore. Um, you know, I think I, I see it every time I go to a drill weekend or every time I'm involved with on a customer site and, you know, the, the talent that's coming in from the enlisted and the officer community are all digital natives now. And they're not going to put up with, uh, with a haphazard architecture. They're not going to put up with a poor user experience. And uh, it, it's, it, it continues to lead to retention problems. Um, you know, I think it, it is not the driver, but, uh, you know, it's not doing anything to help our recruiting issues uh, that we're having in Millington or anything like that. So, I mean, if we really want to get serious about, uh, you know, moving the force forward and, uh, you know, really uh, taking a chunk out of this pure competition, uh, we've really got to do something about our, our service provisioning and the experience that we're giving our sailors uh, to, to do what it is they have to do every day. So the mission statement, Scott, as you well know, I'm not going to ask you to put your reef point six inches from your eyeballs and recite it, but the mission statement essentially means that you are, you know, aspiring to the highest levels of command, citizenship, and government. And it isn't often that we have a president of a company um, on this podcast, but it is emblematic um, of the lessons that are learned in leadership, you know, on the banks of the Severn here. What were some of the most important lessons in leadership you learned that, that helped you rise to this level? Because this is no small accomplishment. I mean, I know that we're friends and I can, you know, I can, uh, you know, puff you. <laughs> I get that's good. <laughs> and I, I, can, um, I can massage your fragile ego all I want. But, you know, you, you, you've obviously worked hard on this and you've learned a lot of leadership lessons along the way. How integral was the Naval Academy in those leadership lessons? I mean, I, I think it it provided every building block and every every foundational uh, opportunity to learn uh, that I've used every day since then. Um, I mean, there is no harder leadership than peer leadership, right? I mean, there when when you are you know a second class as a first sergeant or you know a, a firstie, you know as as an in company striper, out of company striper, whatever it is, you're still you know, leading people who are your peers. And if, if you can do that, you can do anything. And, you know, I definitely wasn't perfect at it or anything like that, but uh, it, it really taught me the lessons of humility and, you know, uh, look at yourself first. And, you know, people tend to behave uh, in, a, in, a, in a more positive manner when it's a more positive interaction and that sort of stuff. It's, uh, you know, I really had the opportunity in a lot of ways both in company and out of company when I was here to, to practice that and uh, have some successes and failures. What would you say about the Naval Academy today as an alumnus? So here we are this week, 
history will be made at the Naval Academy. The first ever female superintendent, Yvette Davids, uh, will take command on Thursday. Um, you know, we're coming off of football season, and you know, whether the football season was successful or not is really uh, secondary. But as an alumnus, how would you grade? You know where the Naval Academy is and and the trajectory that it's on. I think the Naval Academy's trajectory continues to rise and its best days are ahead. What continues to impress me about this institution is that it remains culturally relevant while staying true to its mission and its purpose. And you know the way that they do that, that my opinion is you know they bring in uh, impactful leaders at the prime of their careers to, you know, effectively teach and guide midshipmen on how to be officers and how to be leaders. And I mean, I just look at the folks when I was here as a mid, uh, you know, my commandants were Gary Roughhead, Sam Locklear, and John Allen. And I mean, CNO, PACOM, who would have been chairman of the Joint Chiefs if not for a scorched earth witch hunt that took out 15 years of Navy leadership, regardless of actual culpability. Um, you know, John Allen, who led all the forces in Iraq. I mean, all of those four stars at a really important time in their career. And they, the Navy has continued to do that. I mean, at the, at the company officer level when I was here, Will Williamson, who's now a Marine Corps two-star, I think, who's about to take over Paris Island. I mean, he taught me one of the most important lessons in leadership and, you know, giving your troops the benefit of the doubt. And, you know, I can honestly say I wouldn't be here without without his uh, without his example and his guidance. Um, I mean, even going in the way back, Jim Mattis was the battalion officer at the Naval Academy Preparatory School in 1983. So, I mean, that's making those making those billets and making those career moves really career enhancing and, and upwardly mobile is really, really, really important. Um, you know, and, and what works now wouldn't have worked in the mid-60s. What worked in the mid-60s wouldn't work now. And that's okay. I mean, if, if, if we, 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 are in a, we are in a country and in a nation that, has, that is constantly evolving and constantly moving, and you know, we can debate all day till we're blue in the face about whether that's good or bad, but n- neglecting to admit that it is happening, is, it, it, we would be doing that to our own detriment. So we've got to find a way to get quality, uh, quality students, quality young people in the door so that we can have phenomenal leadership as we move forward. And I think that's exactly what uh, you know, the admission staff has done, what the, what the foundation continues to do. Um, you know, I, I think, and I think you said it on the last pod, but, you know, Yvette Davids is the last person to care that she's the first female superintendent. What really is important is the work that she's done as a leader, both in command. She had some phenomenal command tours. What she did at Surf War, uh, even, even before this whole Tuberville thing, and she had to put on the acting hat, which she did flawlessly. Um, you know, leaders of character and consequence, your words, right? I mean, that's exactly who we have here, and that's who you know, Navy leadership uh, and Congress continues to put in place. Um, and I, I think, you know, we, our, our best days are ahead. So last question, you know, listeners out there who might need Stratus Corps for their, um, you know, for their business, for their success, you know, give, give me one last pitch. You know, how can they contact you and, and what's the value add sure. uh, from your company? You know, it, it, 
this is this is your chance to sell it. No, I appreciate it. I mean, I'm 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 on LinkedIn, um, I'm on Instagram and Facebook and and everything else. So feel free to to reach out. They can call you. I'll put your cell phone number on here, and they can call you. And no, I'll talk. put your TikTok account on the uh, <laughs> please on the, do on the socials. No, that'd yeah. be great. Um, but you know, as far as a value add, right? I mean, I've been at a lot. Of, I've been at a lot of places, right? I've, and I've been at most of the uh, most of the big integrators, and you know, the value add that that Stratascore offers is agility. Uh, we we can we can move at a pace that is unparalleled at at a larger organization, right? I mean, if we want to, if we're approached by a customer or a partner uh, with with an option and idea to do something, you know, I look to my left and my right to my senior leadership team, and we just move forward and do it. It doesn't. It's not a cast of thousands. It's not a thousand approvals. It's not anything like that. So, uh, you know, nimbleness, agility, uh, as well as a as a focus on mission. Uh, I mean, you're not going to. I think over sixty percent of our of our staff are veterans. Um, very very important mission focus uh, for what we have. So it's it's not just uh, uh, you know we're taking an order and filling it. There's a there's a purpose behind it, and uh, and we believe in what we're doing. Well, I'll tell you what, folks, uh, Scott Sloan, president of Stratascore, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. And we will uh, have you back soon. Great. Ladies and gentlemen, Scott Sloan, class of 2001. Um, I'll say this one last thing. Uh, The great part about the Naval Academy is that friendships last forever. Scott is a great friend. um, And as a Naval Academy graduate, love that he's not only a sponsor of the pod, uh, but just a very good example of what graduates can do out there, not only in uniform, which you still do as a reservist, uh, but in the business community. Uh, and we can't wait to bring you more information about Stratus Report in the future. Scott, thanks so much. Thank you. The String Second Podcast is sponsored by ProMD Health. ProMD Health is a state-of-the-art medical practice comprised of several locations, all specializing in non-surgical treatments and procedures to help patients look younger on the outside and feel younger on the inside. At ProMD Health, their unique personal approach to medicine, coupled with their cutting-edge anti-aging treatments, provide their patients with unsurpassed care in a relaxing setting. They cater to patients that require the best in personalized medical care. Please visit ProMDHealth.com, visit their office in Annapolis. Friend of the pod, Scott Melamed, has been the original sponsor of Sing Second, and we encourage you to visit the website for your non-surgical medical needs. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Many thanks to TJ Grady uh, for joining us and talking to us a little bit about the roadshow coming up in 2024, and Scott Sloan, not only for being a great sponsor, um, but for, you know, his insight about, you know, what Stratascore can bring uh, to clients out there and, and certainly the uniqueness of his service. Anyone who was led by the indomitable Chris Hoffman as a young junior officer and still likes the Navy obviously has to have a pretty good character. Chris, before we go out, uh, we promised in the end that we would talk a little bit about sports and there was a lot of discussion, a lot of churn, a lot of wringing of the hands over the holidays about the transfer of Jacob Busick. It, it took place, you know, really in the, in the thick of holiday leave period with Busick talking about putting his name in the transfer portal just saying that he wanted to see what his options were. And then it was revealed a couple of days later that Ken Niamatololo, and congrats to Coach Niamat um, for being named as the tight ends coach at UCLA. But Niamat and Coach Chip Kelly, who's always had a soft spot in his heart for the U.S. Naval Academy, asked Jacob to transfer to UCLA. 
where he will have two years remaining of eligibility. And, and for a six foot three, 260 pound defensive end, um, the chance to play in the Big Ten, UCLA, um, you know, a, a coach like Chip Kelly, a, an advocate, you know, for, for military service like Nehemiah, um, you know, Jacob Busick made the decision to, um, to transfer to UCLA. And with the availability of name, image, and likeness money, um, Jacob decided that, you know, paying off uh, the, the U.S. government, you know, and who knows how much he'll owe. I know that, you know, the numbers have been bandied about in the past with it being somewhere upwards of $200,000 that people owe if they leave after uh, signing their two for seven papers. He intends to use that NIL money to defray those costs. But it, it set off a storm of opinion, and it started with Wags, you know, great friend of ours, uh, writing a commentary in the Capital Gazette about, you know, the fact that Busick asked for a fifth year. He, if you remember, in the second or third game, um, he tore uh, either his pec or his bicep, and um, he lost his entire senior year. He was a captain. He was a talented player, still is a talented player. And, you know, he asked the academy if, you know, hey, I'm going to get commission and I'll be stashed here during the uh, fall semester anyway. You know, technically, because I played less than four games, I fall under the NCAA redshirt rules and the academy turned down his request. And, you know, before we jump too headlong into it, Chris, I totally understand that. You know, if I'm vice admiral, well, now vice admiral Kacher, um, when he reports to Seventh Fleet, but Rear Admiral Kacher at the time that this um, decision was made, and I'm the acting superintendent, I'm not going to make news and make policy by allowing a player to redshirt or or play a fifth year. I mean, that's that's a very existential um, decision that that comes with a lot of backlash and and sets a precedent that's very dangerous. And it, in my humble opinion, it was not. On, on Admiral Kacher to, to make that policy. But, you know, WAGS talked about how Army and Air Force, particularly during COVID, sent a lot of their athletes home, gave them turn back years, and allowed them to come back as bigger, stronger, more experienced, older, better athletes uh, to compete on the field. And it's not just in football, it's in all sports. Um, and Jacob Busick asked for that very same accommodation and was denied. Uh, Wags's submission and a lot of opinions out there of grads is that, that Jacob and a lot of athletes, when they lose an entire year of competition, should be granted the opportunity uh, to, to get one more season of play, you know, with the physical mission being so central to what we do. But Chris, I'm interested in your thoughts on this um, because it is certainly been discussed a lot. It's taken a backseat, obviously, to this week's historic events. But, you know, what what are your thoughts on this particular issue? I think it's something that the Navy and the Naval Academy are going to have to look at. I'm torn, John. Um, Because the physical mission is so critical to, you know, um, preparing midshipmen uh, to go to the fleet or the fleet Marine Corps, um, I, you know, we talked for years on the, on the sing second sports podcast about like, look, I mean, people can sort of hem and haw about athletes versus non-athletes, but the reality is, is all the data tells us 
that a an athlete goes to the fleet or the or the fleet marine corps and does really well right they they lead um they perform um you, you know and so if we are slowly dying a thousand deaths either by the ncaa or by you know society in terms of the things that are now acceptable with with college athletics are are we leaving talent on the table are we you know do we do we set ourselves up this is not a kid that failed out of the naval academy this is not a kid that you know got had a conduct offense or an honor offense or any other reason that you know you would you would leave the naval academy or even a guy that that necessarily wanted to play in the nfl this is a guy that you know ha- had a dream and wanted to finish playing sports now i do I would I know right now that you know I would want to change the policy? I I, I don't. I, I can honestly tell you, but I I think it does deserve. Um, you know whether you look at what um, you know extra years of eligibility and what that means um, for staying at the Naval Academy or enrolling somewhere uh, else in the Navy education system and then being able to play for the academy, or even if you look at NIL money, like. That we have to do a better job of, I think, reacting to the NCAA and and the rest of uh, the rest of college sports if we're going to stay competitive, but more importantly, if we're going to bring in the type of talent that's going to go on and serve in the fleet. You know, a lot of people are viewing this thing through the lens of, oh, well, this is just a boondoggle for athletes. Um, I- I'll tell one story, and and I'm I'm. I'm very good at telling long-winded stories when I say that they're going to be short. But when I was the O-Rep for women's soccer, and I know that Karen Gabera and, and Rob Blank will appreciate this story, the senior captain um, in 2002 when I was the O-Rep was a young lady named Erin Kelly. I, I can't possibly name a midshipman who had more of an impact on me as a young lieutenant and taught me about leadership than Erin. Um, the very first game of her senior season, we go on a West Coast road trip and we play um, at Pepperdine. Uh, shout out to Jason Salata's kid at Pepperdine. Um, but we're at Pepperdine and Erin Kelly in her first game, she had already blown her ACL as a sophomore, comes back and is able to play her junior year. In her very first game her senior year at Pepperdine, she blows the knee again and lost her entire season. Now, she went out and she became a second lieutenant in the Marine Corps and she did amazing things and is still doing amazing things. But the opportunity she could have had to play one more season um, was really significant, um, you know, and, and, and I think would have made a great, a great impact on her teammates and on the yard writ large. But I remember having a conversation with her, you know, somewhere along the line in the year. And I was like, hey, if like you got a chance to play more. You know, would you want to stay and play more? And her response was like, I'm out of here. You know, like I, it's time for me to graduate. Like four years here is enough. And this is where a lot of people get this wrong. Like, Chris, if, if you had the opportunity to stay at the Naval Academy any longer than you had to, would you? Because I don't know. E- even if you've got a very minimal amount of credits, and, and I'm sure that the Academy would find a way to academically load someone who's staying for an extra year or an extra season. But even if you had the opportunity to play more, would you sign up for more like weekends that you have to spend here on duty? Would you sign up for more King Hall meals? Would you sign up for wearing winter working blues any longer than you had to? Because 
being in the service academy is hard. And, and I don't know how many kids would actually be like, yeah, I raised my hand. I'd love to stay here longer because it, it just doesn't seem like that appetizing of a thing, even if you're a great athlete. Uh, I would not have stayed at the Naval Academy any, any longer than I had it <laughs> for, for any I'm reason. shocked by that answer. I'm shocked. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, for, for I, I, would, I couldn't wait to get out of there, um, which is, I think, what most people, and I, I would imagine that Busick felt the same way. I, I mean, he, you know, I mean, I think he would have wanted to get out as soon as he could after playing football. I, I Again, it, it needs to be looked at. This is not a like it's not a black and white issue. It really isn't. It needs to be looked at. It's not a football issue. It's not a basketball issue. It's not a soccer issue. There's lots of talent, um, you know, lots of talented young men and women that come to the Naval Academy r- recruited that probably didn't see themselves when they were five years old as uh, sailors and Marines, and that's okay. We want those people. We're going to turn them into sailors and Marines. Uh, when they go through the academy and then we're going to refine them as sailors and Marines when they get to the, uh, to the fleet. So I, I, you know, I hope everybody breathes through their nose and I hope this is something that we get to debate um, and study for, you know, the next several months and years to, to get to the right answer. I completely agree. And no matter what happens, no matter if um, Naval Academy football players or any athletes get fifth years, um, I know that, Admiral Davids uh, and the rest of the Naval Academy staff has their best interests in mind. You know, the idea, of course, is to build leaders of character and consequence. Uh, the ability to compete on the athletic fields is central to that. Um, the football team will have a different staff member as September rolls around next year. And before we go out, we do have to announce one staffing change on the football team. Coach Brian Newberry announced yesterday that Drew Cronick has joined the Navy football staff as the offensive coordinator. He replaces Grant Chestnut, uh, whose one year as the offensive coordinator, you know, certainly did not turn out the way that everyone wanted. Um, Drew comes as the uh, head coach of Mercer. Um, he put together a 28 and 17 record over the last four years, including a 22 and 10 mark in the Southern Conference. Um, so a new offensive coordinator. Um, a new superintendent, you know, a, a new year here in 2024. We welcome uh, Drew Cronick here. We believe uh, he is related to uh, Caleb Cronick and his wife. Um, if you listen to our uh, pod uh, right as we ended 2023, we had Kristen Cronick on. Uh, we do believe that we're related. I'm doing some fact checking right now with Caleb and Kristen to see what the relation is, but obviously. There is some relation there, as Chronic is not a very common name. Um, so obviously, Drew you know, knows what the Naval Academy is all about from his family ties. So we welcome Drew Chronic in. Chris, that is that. What better way to start the 2024 pod season? We did hope, and in the spirit of transparency, ladies and gentlemen, we did ask Admiral Kacher for an exit interview. But true to form, uh, he is such a humble and great leader um, his focus right now is getting out to Seventh Fleet, you know, where we obviously have a lot of stuff going on in that AOR. Um, but he did promise that once he gets established at Seventh Fleet, that he will give us his Seventh Fleet commander interview, uh, probably right toward the end of uh, the 2024 pod season in May. So we look forward to that. As we go out, I know I want to, and I echo Chris Cervello's words here, congratulate Admiral Kacher, one last time on coming in and working in a very tough situation. Congratulations to Vice Admiral Yvette Davids. 
Many thanks to TJ Grady and Scott Sloan for being here and our sponsors at Stratoscore, Shrek and his Realty Group, Scott Shooter, and ProMD Health and our friend Scott Melamed at ProMD Health in Annapolis. Chris, we're out. See you next week. This is Sing Set.